You are listening to Think Theory Radio. 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 Hello and welcome to Think Theory Radio, the show that brings you topics outside the mainstream realm of thought and ideas to make you think. And I'm your host, Damien Perdue, your scientifical guide on this weird ride of scientifical delights. <laughs> Astonishing delights. There you go. Yeah. And that's because today it's time for... And... That's right, the return of weird science and tales to astonish, astonish, astonish. It's been a while since we've done one of these. So I have gathered and compiled many of the latest stories in scientific advancements, research, and just all-around weirdness from all across the globe and the universe. Dun, 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 dun. There's no limit. There's no limit. There's no limit. There's no. There's no ceiling in space. As long as it's <laughs> astonishing or within the realm of science. Yes, and weird. That's, that's limitless. I mean, I think weird. all yes, science yeah. is kind of weird. Anyway. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, has there ever been boring, like really boring science? Though, mm. You know, it probably is. I mean, like grade school science when you're in science class. But even then, you know, it can be fun yeah. you get to dissect a frog or something. Yeah. Speaking of uh, cutting something open, Chinese scientists create wireless charger that can stay in the human body. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> why? <laughs> why? Why would they do this? Yes, why? Wireless charger. Why do scientists do anything? Well, no, just... Okay, but why a wireless charger in the human body? What are, what are we charging Didn't you here? see the Matrix, man? You can use people as batteries. <laughs> and they're going to power their gridded system with our energy output. No, it's... Uh, well, these scientists have created a biodegradable wireless energy receiving and storage device that can power bioelectronic implants such as fully biodegradable drug delivery systems. So you get your, your drugs delivered whenever you want. <laughs> okay. Okay. It's basically, you know, people who have um, take these certain drugs that are in, like, I guess they're implanted in them. And then, you know, it has like a release system. And these uh, wireless chargers can help keep that going. So if it doesn't, you know, it doesn't break down and people miss their scheduled treatment or injections or however that works, but it's, uh, I guess this is, uh, was published in the journal and science advances led by researchers from Lanzhou university. The development of power modules to run these devices has lagged because the creation of biocompatible and biodegradable sensors and circuit units. I guess the ones that do exist often can be only used once and have insufficient power generation for biomedical applications. To address the gap, researchers proposed a wireless implantable power system with simultaneously high energy storage performance and favored tissue interfacing properties. So all you need is some favored tissue interfacing properties, Paul. Okay. (laughs) 
I'll get right on that. <laughs> and uh, I guess this uh, wireless power supply consists of magnesium coil, which charges the device when an external transmitting coil is placed on top of the skin above the implant. And power received by the magnesium coil passes through a circuit before it enters into an energy storage module made up of zinc ion hybrid supercapacitors, which can store power as electrical energy in comparison to batteries, which only store it as chemical energy. So we'll see. Although it's one of those things that I feel like, yeah, that, you know, they're saying this is for, you know, medical implant stuff. Where does it lead? <laughs> You're just going to have all these different implants up and down your arm. You'll have a wireless charger. Like the back of your TV. This is the component. This right. You'll have a little uh, the antenna. USB port. Yeah. Coaxial cable. You can have like an actual mechanism on your forearm where you just plug your phone in. Yeah. And just charges off of you. Sure. <laughs> sure. It should. <laughs> Chargers are expensive. That's true. And they keep changing them. And, yeah. You know, I'm sure they'll figure it out. Yeah, that'd be the problem, too. Like, you know, like, I can charge it. Dad, you're like a USB-C. Right. <laughs> you're not compatible. Oh, Thunderport now, Dad. <laughs> Thunderport. Uh, you're old. Thunderport. Yeah, I don't know. Lightning port. Oh, right. Yeah. Ah, Thunder. Yeah, Thunderport. <laughs> All right. Well, we're moving on to the world of... Animals or zoology. Zoology? Okay. Would that be it? Yeah. Remember, uh, I don't know if you're old enough to remember when Chicago had the super rats? No. So back in like the 80s, they used to have these posters around. I was like, what, like this super rat. I don't know, some weird probably emerged from like the <laughs> Zion power plant nuclear radiated rats that were like huge. Yeah. I remember seeing one when I was a kid. Although I was, it looked very big, although There's I was a young kid. There's still huge rats in Chicago. Oh, yeah, but these were like twice the size. Okay. There's still, Chicago's still a ratty, ratty place. But get this. Yeah, there were super rats, though. Super rats. But here, just recently, a giant one and a half foot long rat that can crack open coconuts <laughs> was photographed for the first time on a remote island. He goes by the name JoJo. You can... <laughs> See them for $40. The Barnum and Bailey Circus coming to town. Um, I guess this, the the makes, Van Gunu giant rat. Sorry. I was say, like, <laughs> makes a mean pina colada. <laughs> yes, you put the lime in the coconut. There you go. <laughs> and yeah, so this is, uh, this is the first ever images of a Van Gunu giant rat, an elusive rodent that can grow up to one and a half feet long. And is known from only a single specimen that fell out of a tree six years ago. This is in the Solomon Islands. So, if you're traveling to the Solomon Islands, be leery of the Vanganu rats. Imagine seeing a one and a half foot size rat, though. Yeah. I mean, isn't this just essentially I, a possum? No, I swear I've seen rats that size in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. One and a half foot? Yes. Yes. But I think this is like, like one and a half like foot without the tail. I think. It doesn't specify. Possum size. Like raccoon size. Yeah. Yeah. Then you saw a super rat, man. In the subway. Like yeah. this was years ago, but like Red Line Subway downtown. Oh, I believe I it. I swear, yeah. like looking down the tracks, I saw something big. That's where you get all the mutants. Yeah. You know? 
those the, albino the crocodiles shuds of the rat <laughs> community yeah that crocodile that got out of humble park and it's living in the subway <laughs> now the snapper <laughs> it's it's gotten even bigger from eating the the huge rats <laughs> should write this down it could be a great movie <laughs> now we go a little bit to space all right see we went from the human body to an island full of giant rats. Now we're blasting up into space because SpaceX rockets keep tearing blood red atmospheric holes in the sky. What? And scientists are concerned. I, I would be. I would be very concerned. <laughs> I guess deorbiting SpaceX rockets are smashing temporary holes in the upper atmosphere, creating bright blobs of light in the sky. Now scientists have warned that these SpaceX auroras which look like glowing red orbs of light. So Elon Musk going to start charging for that now? Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, Aurora if you want to view Alice, my Aurora, SpaceX uh, Auroras. <laughs> Trying to sell it. Although the, that line reminds me of the that Seinfeld episode. Glowing red orbs of light. Zygmunt. Right. <laughs> yeah. I guess the uh, scientists are already be causing unrecognized problems. Though they are not a threat to the environment or life on Earth, supposedly. Uh, researchers have known for decades that launching rockets into space can punch holes in the upper ionosphere, part of the atmosphere between 50 and 400 miles above the Earth's surface, where gas is ionized or stripped of electrons. These ionospheric holes can excite gas molecules in this part of the atmosphere and trigger vibrant streaks of red aurora-like light. So you can look it up and see some pictures it looks pretty. I mean, if there's no, you know, bad effect, then, hey, why not? Just blood red holes in the sky here and there. <laughs> <laughs> it just seems like there's got to be something wrong with it, right? Like, Yeah. <laughs> ah, don't worry. Nah, just another excuse to blame, blame Elon. <laughs> I do have another... Uh, Elon story, but I'll get to that later. Okay. Well, at least it's a SpaceX story. Yeah. But it's it's very similar to like, even though it's not actually his product, it's very similar to his kind of pipe dreamy stuff that he does. Okay. So we'll get to that a little later. Uh, let's see. Where should we go? Oh, what about, uh, you know, the old, the human genome, right? The human genome project. And they mapped out all of our yeah. DNA and well, yeah. now... The world's biggest set of human genome sequences opens to scientists. Okay. You thought they had them all already, didn't you, Paul? No. I, 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 <laughs> what do I know? Uh, the UK Biobank, a repository of health, genomic, and other biological data, today released complete genome sequences from every one of the 500,000 British volunteers in the database. Researchers around the world can apply for access to the data, which lack identifiable details, and use them to probe the genetic basis for health and disease. Scientists are looking at this like Google Maps, says Rory Collins, the UK Biobank's chief executive. <laughs> when they want to know what are the pathways from lifestyle, environment, genetics to disease, they don't go on Google. They go to UK Biobank. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a great advertisement or its slogan in general. They don't go to Google. They go to UK Bio. <laughs> they don't go to Google. Right. They, go, they to go to UK Biobank. UK Biobank. 
UK Biobank. We have we the most the genomes world. out of anyone in the world. Our genomes are the best. <laughs> Up Bromley. <laughs> I don't know, they own a team, right? Yes, of yeah. course. Yeah. UK. Up Bimbleshire. <laughs> uh, so I guess it could be a good thing, you know. Um, there's the effort has released, you know, previously about 250,000 genomes. So to add another 500,000 from what we've already learned from just the first 200,000 or so could be pretty remarkable. Hmm. We will find out. Hmm. Where do I go? Back to biology, stay in space, stay in space, stay in space. Well, how about this? A new solar system has been found. A new one? A new one, completely new. Like parallel to ours? just appeared. Like not ours, different one? (laughs) Totally different than us, but it's in the Milky Way. Okay. So we're we're neighbors. Yeah, okay. So it's like our brother. Yeah. (laughs) We're trying to make contact. The cool thing, though, is all six planets are perfectly in sync. Oh. Huh. See? And their album is coming up. No, see Mars and Jupiter. Right. We can't all get along. Right? Jupiter, what's your problem? Mars and Venus. If other solar systems can do it, why can't we? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Astronomers have discovered a rare in-sync solar system with six planets moving like a grand cosmic orchestra. Untouched by outside forces since their birth billions of years ago. The find uh, announced Wednesday can help explain how solar systems across the Milky Way galaxy come to be. This one is 100 light years away in the constellation Coma Berenices. Sure. Berenices. Maybe it's just Berenices. Um, A light year that is a light year is 5.8 trillion miles. And I would go 5 trillion. (laughs) A pair of planet hunting satellites. NASA's TESS and the European Space Agency's CHEOPS teamed up for the observation that discovered the solar system. Derek Pitts, chief astronomer at Philadelphia's Franklin Institute, told CBS News that the planets are a rare example of how researchers think solar systems are born. The planets are in perfect synchronous orbit with each other. We're looking at what a solar system may have looked like billions of years ago, even what our solar system may have looked like billions of years ago, Pitts said. See, we had we were in sync at some point, and then we lost it. Probably when humans evolved. Yeah, <laughs> we just threw it all off course, <laughs> <laughs> creating blood red holes in the sky. What's wrong with us? <laughs> Lots of things. <laughs> Although none of the planets in perfect synchrony are within the star's so-called habitable zone, which means little, if any, likelihood of life—at least the kind of life that we know. Probably doesn't exist. Womp womp. Here we found, finally found, you know, a cool neighborhood next to us. And yeah. There's nobody home. <laughs> At least it's not our fault, though. That's true. We didn't do it. And who knows? That's life as we know it. You know, we yeah, don't know right, everything yeah, yet. Right, there could yeah. be like gaseous forms of life. Yeah. Some kind of sentient crystal crystalline entity ethereal vapor people yeah or some kind of dark energy people that we just can't see yeah the force the force (laughs) (laughs) 
All right, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we will talk about an extincted animal that they're trying to bring back. I don't know why. We'll find out after this on Think Theory Radio. Welcome back to Think Theory Radio. This is Damien, and we've been talking about, you know, giant rats and holes in space. And, and our, it, our friends in the solar system, the other solar yes, system. Yes, our new neighbor solar system, yeah. uh, implants, more and more implants coming under, under your skin mm-hmm. if you're ready or not. And why are we talking about all this stuff, Paul? Oh, because my gosh. Because And also, Tales to Astonish. Yes. Tales to Astonish. It's astonishing tales and weird science, 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 science. Went backwards. That's how it goes. Yeah. Well, I did tease this right before the break. Scientists, they've done it again. What do they do? They're the bringing back the grandest discovery ever known to man. What is it? <laughs> They're bringing back another extinct animal. Oh, which one? It's the one that we've all really needed. It's the was it the uh, um the, the the murder bandit? It's just a giant <laughs> five legged uh, uh, Homo sapien creature that has built in uh, knives. Uh, yeah. <laughs> why? Why would they've you bring res- that back? Re- they've resurrected the kraken. Yeah, the kraken. Yeah. Why would you bring that back? No, it's it's uh, it's a little more benign than that, but it's also uh, the dodo bird. I, okay, I was gonna jokingly say that. Yeah. But, uh, oh, you should have said it, man. Should have been right on point. Yeah. Instead of my made up uh, stabby like uh, ape like creature. Well, you know somebody's gonna run with that idea and make some kind of movie or animation. Yeah, well, I don't, you know, it's just yeah, some sort of old old deadly creature. Mm-hmm. Saber tooth tiger, but I don't. <laughs> but yeah, the dodo. Bird. So the Why, dodo. Okay, you know what? I thought I heard about this though, so I'm glad it made it to weird science. Okay, yeah. And tales to astonish. Why are they bringing back the dodo bird? And what what Jurassic Park or Isle of Doctor Moreau <laughs> uh, uh, freak scientist decided this would be a good idea? Well, you know, the reason is just to say they did it, probably, and to get some kind of funding, but. <laughs> We can bring him back. Yes. Give us money now. One of the most beautiful birds of We hear it's a a proud uh, uh, state university here. Uh, We're so happy that. You're close. uh, It's the U.S. based biotechnology and genetic engineering company, Colossal Biosciences. Okay, so it is in the private sector, though. It's not. Yeah, yeah, but it's. But you had the accent down, right? You didn't do like a European accent. Texas uh, AM or something. Like, we brought him back. We brought him back. The dodo bird. Why? <laughs> study it. Maybe replace the turkey for Thanksgiving. I well, I guess know. they're actually pursuing the de-extinction of multiple species, including the woolly mammoth. But why? <laughs> we uh, can save them. Well, I guess this... Be, now they, that we've, like, ruined the planet. Like, yeah. Let's bring them back. Maybe right. their habitat will still exist. We've killed all the animals, but yeah. we can bring them back. <laughs> well, it was... So the dodo bird, if you didn't know, was a flightless bird once unique to Mauritius. 
what, or Mauritius, Mauritius. What, wasn't it kind of invented to die, though? Like, did it ever serve a purpose in the ecological grand sense of things? It was just to be funny looking? I don't know. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, we already have a couple of funny birds. Yeah. Like, well, I guess they're doing it in partnership with the Meridian Wildlife Foundation to find a suitable location. But why? We still haven't answered that question. Because just, you know, why do they do stuff like this? It's hubris. It's just to say, we <laughs> well, did it. Yes, but yeah. But specifically, why the dodo bird? Well, this, and the dodo's been extinct since 1681. Wow. Okay. A uh, combination of predation by humans and animals introduced by humans led to its downfall. Of course we did. Yeah. Turning it into a textbook case for extinction. But Moridius could benefit the dodo's immediate environment and other species. Well, it's returned to Moridius could benefit. So I guess, you know, it's the cycle of life, like how it all connects. So maybe they had some kind of purpose that we were unaware of. It might have kept some other predator at bay or ate these certain insects that needed to be eaten in order to feed the you know the flowers that grow which yeah. some other animal would eat that's how it all works man it's there's always a purpose <laughs> even the super rat has a purpose <laughs> eats dodo birds yeah it just eats other dodo birds <laughs> all right well we uh, are leaving the island of Mauritius or the land of Mauritius I'm not sure if it's an island and uh, going into the digital realm. Okay. Because, of course, weird science wouldn't be complete these days without a story about AI. Yeah. Artificial intelligence. Uh, Google AI has discovered 2.2 million materials unknown to science. Say that again. Google AI has yeah. discovered 2.2 million materials unknown to science. What? Yep. How? It's, it's smarter than us. <laughs> but it's like, <laughs> I know we can't see, feel, smell, or do anything, but uh, did you guys ever try uh, this? Yeah. I mean, I guess, okay, probably because it has the education yeah, it's like, got would all take several lifetimes right. to, yeah. yeah. It could just, like, uh, no, dumb, dumb. Actually, if right. you, uh, <laughs> <laughs> we have found all the material. Nope. Um, actually, uh, scientists know of about 48,000 different crystals, each with a different chemical recipe. Uh, DeepMind, which is Google's AI, has created a machine learning tool called GNOME, graphic graph networks for materials exploration. That can use existing libraries of chemical structures to predict new ones. It came up with 2.2 million crystal structures, each new to science. So it's all crystals, man. It's just the <laughs> okay. You <laughs> turned to uh, what Michaela from uh, Facebook now? It's all crystals. It's crystals, man. It's really just all for Google to open up a new crystal shop. And they'll have 2.2 million different crystals. Oh, uh, yeah. Essential oils are in the back. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Just how huge this is is highlighted by a paper published in Nature by Google DeepMind, if you want to check that out. To check the machine's predictions, DeepMind collaborated on a second paper, all, also published in Nature, 
whereas the researchers at the University of California, Berkeley, they chose 58 of the predicted compounds and were able to synthesize 41 of them in a little over two weeks. The team at DeepMind say more than 700 other crystals have been produced by other groups since they began preparing their paper. Now, of course, these crystals have different, you know, aside from aligning your chakras and protecting your auras, they also are in microchips and your phone and TVs and satellites, many of them uses. So we'll see what, what kind of things they come up with, with 2.2 million more crystals. Now, what about, here's another very weird story that's also kind of maybe a little scary. Remember not too long ago we did the the, the story on the biological robots made from, like, frog cells? Yeah. Well, they topped that one. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> now these scientists... What now? They're, they've built tiny biological robots from human cells. Ooh. Dun, 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 Moving dun, dun, out. <laughs> the multicellular biobots can move around and help heal wounds. Multicellular biobots. Sorry. <laughs> that come on after Transformers and before. So, yeah. Multicellular biobots. Do, 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 do. <laughs> All right. What did they do? What, what, I'm sorry. You, you said this. Oh, they said they, they, they can move around and help heal wounds. Created by plated neurons. Yeah, but no, they can also uh, sabotage and destroy. They can work for evil, too. Little tiny microbots. Yes. This is what they want, people. <laughs> well, researchers have created uh, in Medford, Massachusetts, tiny biological robots called anthrobots. Anthrobots. And the other ones were called xenobots. Xeno. So we you're going to have like yeah. the xenobots and the anthrobots, the anthrobots going are at it. coming after us. Get the xenobots. Inside your body. Yeah. Oh, man. What's going to happen? Frog cells and human cells <laughs> fighting each other within you. It's like, what was the, uh, I know they did a couple different movies, but there was like Honey, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Or what was the one where they actually went inside, inner space? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Inner space. Martin Short, I think. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, they made them from. I gotta get the, uh, the anthrobots. <laughs> yeah. The anthrobots and xenobites are fighting. <laughs> uh, well, they've made these from adult human tracheal cells that can move across the surface and encourage the growth of neurons in a lab dish. The multicellular assemblies, ranging in size from the width of a human hair to the point of a sharpened pencil, are designed to carry out tasks depending on the functions of their individual cells and how they work together. The discovery is a starting point for the researcher's vision to use anthrobots as new therapeutic tools for regeneration, healing, and treatment of disease. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. As long as they're used for good. Yeah, exactly. And not evil. Right. Frog cells and human cells fight. They're going to use this to control your mind, man. You don't know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah what's... What's uh, the KGB and uh, CIA, what are they up to with it? Right, like what if you just get, you know, they just secretly inject you with these things that they control. It's in the vaccines, man. <laughs> See, the truth is coming they out. They put it in the chemtrails. <laughs> just breathe them in. Yeah. Mmm, nanobots. Mm. I love the smell of nanobots in the morning. Itchy. <laughs> uh, let's see. In a current study published in Advanced Sciences, Levin is one of the... Uh, Researchers doing this, along with Ph.D. student Jizem Gumuskaya, discovered that biobots can, in fact, be from adult human cells without any genetic modification. 
and they're demonstrating some capabilities beyond what was observed with the froggy xenobots. The discovery starts to answer a broader question that the lab has posed. What are the rules that govern how cells assemble and work together in the body? Nothing governs them, then. (laughs) (laughs) My cells have free liberty. They're libertarian cells. Sorry. (laughs) Can't tell me how to govern my cells. And can the cells be taken out of their natural context and recombined in different body plans to carry out other functions by design, they ask. So we will find out what they do with these anthrobots. Nanobots and anthrobots. Which, and they they actually create a clustered assembly to, to perform these healing wound techniques. This clustered assembly of anthrobots, which is called a superbot. Superbots. Which I feel like is kind of... I don't I think they're all superbots. Yeah, yeah, they're all super I mean, to go from yeah. xenobots and anthrobots to just... Microbots, microcellular. <laughs> well, they're all that, yeah. yeah. No, Mom, you don't get it. See, they're all microcellular right. bots. Well, I don't understand. They're all super bots. Oh, just parents just don't understand. You need to get me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we leave the human body and anthrobots. <laughs> Where do we go from here? Where do we go from? Isn't that a song? Yeah, I'm Where sure. Where from here? Yeah. Well, it's there's like the, 80s. Uh, there's the Chicago song, the... Uh, Maybe that's what I can't thinking. sing like Peter Cetera. No. Like, where do we go? Where do we go? No, it's not that one. Where do we go? There's one that's here. like, that was more like rocked out one. Anyway. Yeah, okay. Um, we'll go back into the sky. And there's, the uh, scientists have found out that there are high energy sun goddess Uh-oh. particle, which opens new possibility for physics. And they have found out that, yes, gods and goddesses do exist, and they, and they, <laughs> I can't even get that one out. But. Yeah, and? <laughs> no, yeah, right. It's just the name, sun goddess particle, because, you know, they like to call yeah. their particles different, like the god particles, yep, the Higgs yep, boson, yep, yep, right? Yeah. So everything's named after, like, uh, Neptune and Zeus and mm-hmm. all that. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, now we have this new particle. They're called the Sun Goddess. And this particle has an energy level one million times greater than what can be generated in even humanity's most powerful particle accelerators. Mm. You know, the big one, CERN, over there. They can't even do this. CERN, for those of you playing at home. Which is insane. Like, that particle has one million times greater yeah. than what can be generated in our biggest accelerator. Hmm. It appears to have fallen to Earth in a shower of other less energetic particles. <laughs> Dude, check out what I found. <laughs> the particle has been dubbed Amaterasu after Amaterasu Omikami, the goddess of the sun oh, and yeah. the universe in Japanese mythology. Yeah, okay. Her name means shining in heaven. Oh. And just as his mythological namesake is shrouded in mystery, so too is the Amaterasu particle. Hmm. Its discoverers, including Osaka Metropolitan University teacher Toshihiro Fuji, don't know where the particle came from or indeed what it is. They also still aren't sure what kind of violent and powerful process could have given rise to something as energetic as the Amaterasu. This is the most energetic charged particle ever detected, 
by the telescope array experiment, Fuji told Space.com. That's pretty amazing. It brings great pleasure to many in this prefecture. (laughs) So we'll see what they do with this new uh, particle. One of the quotes was like, I was so happy to find that there is another mystery in science to be solved. It's like, well, we have, we've solved them all already. <laughs> There's still a lot more, buddy. <laughs> Finally, someone did one this year. <laughs> uh, well, let's stay in Japan. Because okay. the world's largest nuclear fusion reactor opens in Japan. Let me guess. They put it by the coast, and like one earthquake is going to ruin the entire right. ocean. Uh, Where have we heard this one before? It's just going to. Did like they not learn implode. their lesson? Did they not learn their lesson after what Fukushima? Did they not learn their lesson? Well, this is fusion, though. Okay. This is nuclear fusion. Okay, something so we've been like trying the, okay, to. I got you a little bit cleaner. Yeah. Not as much. Uh, mm-hmm. I got you. I mean, it might you know no, tear like a hole in space time. Yeah. We don't know. Yeah. Well, we'll see. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Japan inaugurated the JT-60SA, the largest operational superconducting tokamak in the world to date. A tokamak is a nuclear fusion reactor shaped like a donut. Oh, of course. <laughs> and this new How building. Silly of me. I knew that. Come on. You should have known. How do you think I didn't know that? With sprinkles on top. <laughs> With mm. sun goddess particle sprinkles. sprinkles. See what I did there? Yeah. Uh, with the support of the European Union, it's meant to be the forerunner of the Under Construction International Thermonuclear Experimental Reactor, or ITER, which is currently being built in France and is expected to open in a few years. The goal of this nuclear fusion reactor is to demonstrate that the design can output a net amount of energy. More energy needs to come out than is put in for it to make sense. Nuclear fusion has, been the potential to re- has the potential to release an enormous amount of clean, carbon-free energy. After all, it is what powers the stars. But to create, recreate the conditions that happen at the heart of stars, energy needs to be invested. And that's where the difficult trade-off happens. So we will see if the new largest fusion reactor will do what it's supposed to do. And it's this, what I was just saying, is this actually is going to be passed up in the next few years by the one they're building in France. So there's going to be an even bigger one coming soon. So, dun-dun-dun-dun, we might have clean energy. You never know. Yeah. And kind of, uh, you know, on the heels of that, I have another article about carbon and what plants do that we might not realize they do. That and much more after this on Think Theory Radio. pretty good oh, <laughs> i'm surprised you held it that long that was good <laughs> you've got some singing skills i see it's every now and then a little opera operatic oh why me i'm not even warmed up <laughs> i've seen you do karaoke i know yeah. <laughs> king of the nine minutes yes <laughs> welcome back to think theory radio and uh, nothing that we just were mentioning has anything to do with what we were talking about. No. I think. It wasn't weird enough. That's true. Or astonishing weird. enough. It was weird. Or and it was astonishing. Yeah. But it was not. 
and Tales to Astonish. Yes. We have astonishing tales and some weird science stories. As a matter of fact, <laughs> where facts matter. Yes. Wow, I like how you threw that in there. Nice. And we're just talking about a fusion reactor in Japan, clean energy, carbon free. So to leapfrog off that, we have new research that suggests plants might be able to absorb more CO2 from human activities than previously expected. Mm. More good news. So go ahead and make all that right. carbon dioxide. Cause <laughs> I always love when I read these articles, too. It always says, you know, the scientist in there is like, look, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't keep doing what we're doing to prevent climate change. We're See? just saying. See, you know, and there's going to be some sort of like half-baked like. Oh, yeah. You know, scientists, you know, like, see, that's why global warming, you know, like, yeah, like, it's all fake, man. You didn't even like make a point A to point B connection. Like, no, <laughs> I should, you know, when I see these, I should look up like the reporting of it from, yeah. you know, the other side the, and see yeah. how if they like spin how it, twist it. Yeah. You know, see, scientists are saying now that what we do doesn't matter. <laughs> the earth will fix itself. Yep. Yep. Uh, new research published in Science Advances paints an uncharacteristically upbeat picture for the planet. This is because more realistic ecological modeling suggests the world's plants may be able to take up more atmospheric CO2 from human activities than previously predicted. Despite this headline finding, the environmental scientists behind the research are quick to underline, like I was just saying, that we should not take our foot off the brake when it comes to reducing carbon emissions. Plants take up a substantial amount of carbon dioxide, CO2, every year, thereby slowing down the detrimental effects of climate change. But the extent to which they will continue this CO2 uptake into the future has been uncertain, explains Dr. Jürgen Nauer, who headed the research team led by Hawkesbury Institute for the Environment at Western Sydney University. What we found is that a well-established climate model that is used to feed into global ch climate predictions made by the likes of the IPCC, predict stronger and sustained carbon uptake until the end of the 21st century when it accounts for the impact of some critical physiological processes that govern how plants conduct photosynthesis. We accounted for aspects like how efficiently carbon dioxide can move through the interior of the leaf, how plants adjust to changes in temperatures, and how plants most economically distribute nutrients in their canopy. These are the three really important mechanisms that affect a plant's ability to fix carbon, yet they are commonly ignored in most global models, says Dr. Nauer. So we will see if this research pans out, and hopefully it does because it you know, gives us a little good news, but it's still in the beginning phases. Now, let's see if we should, you know what, might as well stay with plants but not plants on Earth, plants in space. And we're actually going to go up to the moon because the first ever lunar farm shows that plants can grow on the moon. Um, it says, uh, when Chang'e 4 landed, which is the Chinese uh, moon rover, landed on the moon in January 2019, it carried with it a payload that could dictate the future of space exploration. 
seeds of four plant species it sought to grow on the lunar surface. The germination of a single cotton seed attracted plenty of attention at the time, but there's more to growth than just sprouting. If crops grown on the moon are less productive or more fragile than those on Earth, it's going to be a big problem. It's taken more than four years, but important results from the experiment have now been released, and they suggest that for all the obstacles to establishing colonies on the moon and Mars, growing food might not be one. Although it is in, in the very early days of this experiment. It's important to note that Chang'e 4 did not try to grow the seeds in lunar soil. Other experiments have shown that is possible, but instead this test was only of whether the moon's low gravity and high radiation would prove a problem for plants. Gravity is the most important part of this question. If the sun's radiation unfiltered by an atmosphere turns out to damage plants, we can always find ways to tint the roofs of domes on other worlds. Altering the downward force, leaves, and stems experience would uh, more would be more of a challenge. Fortunately, however, it seems like that won't be necessary. In fact, low gravity may help offset some of the other difficulties to be faced beyond Earth's embrace. The first results comparing the plants on the lunar surface with those on Earth were released by a team from Junking University in June, and more detail is now available. While Chang'e 4 was the first was doing its thing on the moon, the authors placed matching seeds in a facility with identical soil kept to the same temperature, humidity, and air pressure. We discovered that one-sixth gram moon gravity speeds up the seed germination, the researchers announced in one of the papers. Only one of the cotton seeds and none of the other plants sprouted on the moon in contradiction to the reports at the time. The greatest threats lunar seeding faced was the long light, which started nine earthly days after landing. Temperatures inside the lunar compartment dropped, so the earthly control was cooled to match. Warmth did not return for about 18 earthly days. Astonishingly, the lunar seeding was still green and upright when the light returned. The earthly equivalents, however, were dead and black-yellow in color. The plucky moon seedling survived the second lunar day, although its growth stalled, which the researchers attribute to the compartment running out of oxygen. So pretty interesting. They're growing stuff on the moon. You said earthly a lot. And and finally you can <laughs> well, play... Well, there was the uh, uh, earthly equivalents. Yeah. But finally... That's a new band, uh, the earthly equivalents. Earthly equivalents. I think that was a, an album by Dave Matthews' band. Ah, that's um, But now finally you can play animal, vegetable, mineral on the moon. There you go. Yeah. See? <laughs> So this will have, you know, benefits for when we all have to move to Mars after we destroy the Earth. Yeah. <laughs> and hopefully we can grow on Mars. Well, at least we know we can grow on the moon. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll be living on the moon. Everyone wants to go to the moon. Yeah. Wasn't there the mo- Which movie was that where there was like a Starbucks on the moon? Not Total Recall. Was <laughs> no, it, it was yeah. like a newer one. I think it was okay. like Brad Pitt. No, not Brad Pitt. Um, Matt Damon. Yeah. Is that one? Was the Martian? No, that was on Mars. Anyway, it doesn't matter. All right, well, let's get back to some more weird stuff. That was all great and everything, but talking about some weird things. All right. Well, a scientist says the sing- <laughs> a scientist says the singularity will happen by twenty thirty one. Okay. The singularity is the moment where AI is no longer under human control. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's according to AI. 
Yeah. The AI scientist says that he will throw him off. Achieve singularity in nine years. We'll achieve it by 2024. Yeah. 2031. That's what they think. (laughs) So we will see what happens. I'm trying to find out who said this. Yeah. Who said said this? It doesn't even say. No, it's Ben Gertzel, CEO of Singularity Net, of course. Oh, yeah. He's trying to just trying to promote his company. Yep. Holds a PhD from Temple University. <laughs> He's not saying that as a threat. He's saying that, like, you know, we plan by 2031 right. to have the AI be totally functionless without any sort of human <laughs> human power in it. Exactly. Why? Why, you mad fool? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we'll see uh, if that actually happens. <laughs> There's still a lot of debate on AI and, like, is it really even, can you even call it artificial intelligence you know what i mean okay because it is it it's not really intelligent it's just a kind of a spreadsheet of of information and words but can it advance itself can it like, not not yeah. now that's yeah. what you know now supposedly if the singularity happens then it we could label like it intelligent once it starts grabbing parts and adding them yeah it start well once it can do things without us telling it what to do yeah then that's when it becomes its own Entity, a living creature. Well, let's keep with AI and robots. Okay. And Mars, because we brought up Mars. Yeah. Well, an AI-powered robot chemist. Okay. Unlocks oxygen from Martian water. So there you go. All the extra carbon dioxide from the plants. Now we got extra oxygen. (laughs) I feel like that was like that. The one headline was a combination of all the stories that I said today. (laughs) The bingo cards. Researchers in China say they've harnessed the power of artificial intelligence to create an AI-powered robot chemist. It's like the AI-powered robot chemist. AI-powered robot chemist. (laughs) New from Mattel. Help your kids with their science project. (laughs) I guess they can synthesize water from Martian meteorites and produce oxygen. The innovative approach could revolutionize future crewed missions to Mars by eliminating the need to transport oxygen and catalysts from Earth, making exploration of the Red Planet more cost-effective and sustainable. The AI-powered robot chemist used a combination of acid and alkali to dissolve and separate the meteorite material to discover a chemical compound that could break down water from the ice located under the Martian surface and at its poles. So that's cool. Another little good news, I guess, for... Those who who can afford to move to Mars, which mm-hmm. is not any of us. <laughs> <laughs> and I did tease earlier another SpaceX story. And this is kind of weird. It's also like a very um, kind of fringe tech. But basically, SpaceX with actually with the uh, U.S. startup IVO Limited launched a limitless zero fuel engine into space, or that's the hopes of what it would be. And it's the quantum drive engine. <laughs> Marty! Yeah, exactly. It's the quantum drive engine, Marty. They've launched the quantum drive. It's going to take us back 30 years, Marty. <laughs> it was fitted on a micro satellite that entered orbit aboard SpaceX Transporter 9 and blasted off earlier in November, or that was the end of October. IVO claims that its technology is the world's first commercially viable pure electric propulsion technology that works in space. 
drawing limitless power for propul- from propulsion from the sun. Now, here's where it gets controversial. It relies on a theory called quantized inertia, or QI, as opposed to AI. Mm, didn't have that on the bingo ah, card. QI. Which actually challenges Isaac Newton's laws of motion. So it's going against the laws of the physics that we know to be true. So I don't know. Okay. Uh, a lot of physicists are dismissing the technology as impossible. So they have made communication with the satellite. It's in orbit. And I guess after a couple months or so, they will be testing out the propulsion. And basically, this would be a, a fuelless engine. So if this actually works, one, it'll change the whole laws of physics, but also provide some somewhat of a kind of free energy source. So we'll see. It's a very uh, crackpotty kind of thing as of now, but... There is a company that put a bunch of money into it, and then now it's floating in space. <laughs> uh, let's see. Should we end it there? I or can I fit one I more mean, in? Hmm. He's wasting time now. Well, you put the music on. I was like, yeah. all right, is it time to go? It is. <laughs> like it is time to go. All right, I'll just this one headline. All right. Just to spit it out there. All right. Because we brought up SpaceX and it creating its auroras. We brought up sun particles. Will astronomers spot an aurora on the sun for the first time? Oh, okay. Scientists have spotted a stunning aurora-like display of crackling radio waves over the surface of the sun that is strikingly similar to the northern lights on Earth. So you can look that up and check it out. There's an aurora borealis on the sun. And that'll be it for today's Think Theory Radio, Weird Science and Tales to Astonish. We'll be back again next week and every Saturday, 6 to 7 p.m., right here on WCPT 820.